Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go. Here again, once again, a lot has happened, David. A lot of things uh, going on in the last week, and it should be a good one today. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I would be doing better if we weren't in the middle of a lockout. was uh, expected, but something that we still – it's kind of ominous almost. Looking at the, the websites on MLB.com, the, the MLB app, doesn't feel like it's it's actually like major league baseball uh they're they're trying to i guess like prove their point to the players stick it to the players we're not going to advertise for any of your content really what they're doing though is, is showing the fans that they need the players for the content i mean no offense to uh some of the older players but when one of the top brewers highlights is jeremy Burnett's monster blast from some random regular season game in 1997 I got on the app. I was looking at the videos. Hank Aaron breaks all time RBI record. Like, sorry, but that happened 45 years ago. Uh, We're a little bit past that. So uh, it it is a little bit strange and something that I don't necessarily wish that had happened, but uh, that that were happening right now. But it is also in some ways nice to kind of have that that soft free agency deadline leading up to uh, December 1st and then hopefully get more action later in the offseason once a collective bargaining agreement is reached between the players and the owners. Yeah, it certainly has its downside, but one of those is not the uh, the early signings that we've got to see. I mean, Max Scherzer, Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, uh, uh, Robbie Ray, huge signings all happening in such a short amount of time. And we're kind of used to the last couple of years where free agency has gone down until later in the season. I mean, you think about when the Brewers signed JBJ last year. Um it, it, it's been a unique offseason and a fun one with them being so condensed and it'll probably really just be really condensed at the beginning. I'd imagine this lockout's going to go on for a while and then hopefully uh, that gets taken care of before spring training and we see another frenzy of signings and the season starts. So it'll be a unique offseason. It'll be kind of quiet for a while likely. Um, but at the same time, a lot went down. Like I said, Semyon, Scherzer, Verlander, Robbie Ray, some of the best in the game, some of the biggest names all going off the table um, early this week. Any certain deals that specifically uh, came out to you besides, of course, the Brewers trade that we'll get to? I would I would say one move that I particularly didn't like for the team was Javier Baez to the Tigers. Six years, 140, I believe it was, uh, which is too high for a, a player who has a career on base percentage right around 300. Wildly inconsistent. He was a lot better once he got to the Mets last year. But really, if you look at the uh, some of the, the strike zone numbers, pitchers stop pitching him in the zone. They're like, well, he's going to swing anyways. He swings at, I think, 45% of pitches outside the strike zone, which is far and away the most of any major leaguer. Strikeout rate was through the roof because of it. So they just kept pitching him out of the zone more and more. And then he ended up taking some walks because of it. I don't necessarily think that that's something that's super sustainable. And he's somebody who's had one very good year back in 2018 outside of that he's really just been a a a good fielder good base runner and an okay hitter uh, if that extremely inconsistent Uh, so one move that I particularly didn't like Javier Baez 
uh, to the Tigers. One move that I did like, I thought was a little bit underrated, Toronto getting Kevin Gosman. They got him about a day before Robbie Ray signed with the Mariners, presumably in anticipation of the event of Ray leaving Toronto. But he's a, I would say, a, a pretty underrated pitcher. He was, I would say, a top 10 starter in the majors last year. Got a couple of years now in a row, including the 2020 shortened campaign where uh, he ran ERAs under three, really has, has made some significant changes. He changed his mound position where he stands on the rubber, and that actually really made a huge difference for him. Stop throwing the breaking ball too much. He has a slider that's not very good, but the fastball splitter combination is the best in the bigs. Uh, best splitter by far. Uh, even Satcast had it rated as the most effective pitch of any pitch in baseball, of any pitcher. So uh, that was an underrated move, I thought. Pair him with uh, Hyunjin Ryu and Alec Manoa and Jose Barrios in Toronto. And they've got the makings of a really nice rotation with their young dynamic offense. That was one move that I did particularly like. What about Texas? The, the two monster deals, Marcus Semien and Corey Seager, revamping that middle infield. Um, a 10-year deal worth over $300 million for Seager and then a seven-year deal uh, for Semien after the 40-plus home run season. They also added John Gray as well, which um, would be a, a decent mid-size free agent signing. But when you sign uh, two monster deals like that the same week, it uh, gets overlooked. But what are your thoughts about Texas and, and their big spending that we've seen? I'm certainly glad to see it. Texas has been really irrelevant as far as the playoff landscape for a few years now. They are lacking in talent a little bit. Uh, I mean, look at the roster and their best player this year outside of Gallo, who was traded, uh, might have been Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who was a, an excellent shortstop defensively, but didn't hit much. More suited for a super utility role, could really thrive there. They needed some talent. They needed some star power. They opened their ballpark in 2020, and they actually led the American League in attendance. Uh, partly because of some more relaxed COVID rules in Texas, but partly also because of the draw of the new ballpark and getting those stars into the roster. Those, those are going to help with the, with kind of boosting immediately the, the overall value of the team. I still don't think they're a playoff team. They've got a long ways to go. They've got a number of prospects coming up where I think it's possible that they finish 500 this year. And we're maybe looking at then in a, a year or two, maybe a 90 win team somewhere along those lines. Uh, and I mean, you don't really know the AL West is kind of up in the air right now. Houston, they might be here to say, but they also might only have a good year or two in them as, as El Tuve ages a little bit as Guriel's already 38. Uh, I think Verlander's getting up there. They just resigned. So that could be Texas's opportunity to come in in 2023, maybe 2024. And certainly Semyon and Seager long-term deals. They're going to be around for a while. So these are players that are maybe not going there to win in 2022, uh, but getting paid and, and getting the deals they want to hopefully win in, in 24 or 25, maybe a little bit in the next two or three years more so. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And this run that they've been on. Uh, but of course, the biggest news for the Brewers being the trade right at the deadline before the lockout, Jackie Bradley Jr. heading back to Boston um, along with two prospects and the Brewers getting back Hunter Renfro. Um, we're going to break that trade down um, here briefly. But before we get to that, David, what is today's trivia question? Today's trivia question is involving two players that played for the Brewers in 2021. Neither of them are on the active roster right now. 
Uh, but which two brewers in 2021 are natives of our home state, Wisconsin? Which two, uh, two Scanies uh, did we have for the brewers this year? Um, and we will have that at the end, see if Peter knows the answer to that one. Uh, not too many uh, Wisconsin natives in Brewers history. Of course, think of uh, Jim Gantner being probably the most prominent one. Damian Miller a little bit more recently um, from, uh, from lacrosse, I think it was. But not a whole lot, but they had two this year. It might have been the first year that they had two in a long time. Uh, so we are going to see if Peter has the answer to that one at the end of the episode today. We also are starting a new segment. Uh, we're going to be replacing the random player of the day just temporarily. And we are going to be constructing an all-time Brewers roster. So we're going to be taking 10 pitchers, five starters, five relievers, and then one guy at each position plus a few bench players and putting in our slot, our, slotting in, I guess, our picks for the all-time Brewers roster. So we're going to take the best players throughout their Brewers career, kind of rank them, put them in. Uh, if we were to make the the optimal Brewers roster, who would be in there? So we're going to uh, release five players each episode, and that should take us through most of the offseason as we go into a little bit more of a uh, relaxed, uh, maybe every other week schedule. So that includes today. We're going to go through our first five names, uh, five different ones at different positions. Do you want to get us started, Peter, with the first member of the all-time Brewers team? Yeah, absolutely. And, and no, no particular order here. We're just going to do five random players on the roster. So I'm going to go with uh, just a personal favorite here that we've got on the roster, Carlos Gomez, who we've got slotted in a backup outfield spot. So I know I'm starting with backup outfield, but uh, Carlos Gomez, um, very fun player to watch career 24.3 wins above replacement. Um, of course, known for his speed dynamic defense. He had that great year with the Brewers. I believe he's top, maybe, maybe top 10, in wins above replacement or um, for, for so a single season. Back. Yes. For a single uh, season. That's he, right. He is yep. up there. I yeah. know in, in all time, partly because of his, his great defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm looking at baseball reference and he's sitting at number 14 all time, which when you think about it is, is, I don't know if you want to categorize that as sad or impressive for Gomez. Um, but Gomez really wasn't here all that long uh, coming here in the JJ Hardy trade, uh, which I remember being very sad about JJ Hardy was one of the fan favorites at the time. And Gomez was kind of a young, raw player who there was certainly the potential, and he really did fill into that role, um, was a very, very valuable player for the Brewers. And like you said, had one of the best seasons, really a top five, top 10 season for a Brewer. So Carlos Gomez, our opening player, our backup outfield on the Brewers all-time roster. And today actually is, uh, as we're recording this on Saturday night, Carlos Gomez's 36th birthday coincidentally just uh, just noted that in uh, noticed that in the the baseball reference page so happy birthday to Carlos Gomez uh, he's right in that uh that that week of of great Wisconsin birthdays I think this upcoming week we will celebrate Christian Yelich Aaron Rodgers and Giannis all having birthdays in the, the, the upcoming week so Carlos Gomez I guess joining to that list uh, maybe the maybe the fourth most prominent among those players uh, but sticking with the outfield going to go with a current player our starting right fielder, Christian Yelich. He won the MVP primarily as a right fielder back in 2018 and played a good amount of right field in 2019. You can guess who we're going to put in left field in, uh, in the future weeks. Uh, but Yelich is someone who hasn't played as much, of course, in a Brewers uniform as many of the other players on the list. But his production is right up there. 
with many of the the Brewers greats. He had a 1,000 OPS in 18 and an 1,100 OPS even in 2019 uh, before the kneecap injury ended his season. He hasn't quite been the same the last two years. He's been getting on base, but really not showing the power numbers that he had before. But he still is among the best Brewers outfielders, even just based on cumulative war. And that doesn't even account for the fact that he has probably two of the top five offensive seasons in Brewers history. Uh, Two-time All-Star with the Brewers, two-time Silver Slugger, MVP, and finished runner-up in the MVP race in 2019. Somebody who has a long ways to go as far as his Brewers legacy goes. We certainly hope he's able to get back on track. Baseball reference thinks he will be. Uh, Their projections, 369 on base, 467 slugging. Maybe not quite uh, vintage Yelich, but certainly getting him back on track a little bit uh, would go a long way to have somebody like that in the Brewers lineup once again. Christian Yelich, the starting right fielder on our all-time Brewers roster. Yeah, I think given the last two seasons from him, Brewers fans would be pretty pretty pleased with a year like that uh, from Yelich. We'll see, we'll see what uh, is going to happen uh, with him next year. Uh, next up, we've got uh, probably the most famous closer in Brewers history, um, unless you consider Josh Hader to be that holder at this point. But Dan Plezak, who started his 18-year Major League career uh, with the Brewers, seven years to start off his career, three-time All-Star from 87 to 89, uh, the franchise leader in saves. He's got 158 saves. I know we've talked about Hader, the possibility of him passing that record this year. But Plezak was uh, really the best uh, Brewers reliever of all time uh, at this point. No questions asked, I think. Uh, 3.64 ERA again, seven seasons uh, from Dan Plezak. So Dan Plezak, uh, one of our relief pitchers on the Brewers all-time roster. Yeah, Hader and, and Plezak now, I would say probably one, two. You know, Riley Fingers right up there for you could make a case for as the best reliever in Brewers franchise history. Uh, but yeah, Plesak kind of unmatched as far as the, the longevity of his tenure as a, a Brewers reliever as well. Uh, but Hader now up there with the dominance at least and could break his uh, franchise saves record in the next year or two. Going to go into the starting rotation for player number four today, Teddy Aguera, uh, somebody who had a, a very good shorter peak and didn't quite have the longevity in his career. He actually only played for the Brewers in his major league career, nine years, parts of nine seasons. Fortunately, after 1991, played two more years, ERA over seven. Uh, so clearly had, had maybe been overworked a little bit in his earlier career. Uh, but his 1986 season, he finished runner-up for the Cy Young Award, 248 innings, 279 ERA, uh, struck out almost a batter an inning. Uh, was, I mean, he was as good as anyone in baseball at the time. I think he finished second to Roger Clemens in the American League Cy Young Award winner, won, won uh, 20 games that year. That was coming off a year where he was second in Rookie of the Year voting. So uh, certainly not a fluke there. Finished sixth in the Cy Young the following year. And then 1988, uh, .999 whip led the major leagues. Also had a 2.45 ERA across 227 innings. That four-year stretch might be the best of any pitcher up to this point in Brewers history. Uh, Teddy Higuera taking, uh, I have him slotted in number two in our rotation. Uh, well, you can uh, listen to the future episodes to see who number one will be in that rotation. But Teddy Higuera, the number two starter on our Brewers all-time team. Yeah, he really did have a, a, a short peak, but a really, really good one. Um, I, I'm with you. I think he probably did have the best four-year stretch uh, a Brewers starting pitcher has had and as a result is one of the best starting pitchers 
in Brewers franchise history. We'll see what some of the, the current guys are able to do in their tenure with the Brewers. But I think Higuera makes a lot of sense to be in that number two spot. And finally, our fifth player today, uh, a, a tried and true, true Wisconsinite, like we talked about earlier, graduating from UW Oshkosh and hailing from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Jim Gantner, our starting second baseman. No surprise here. Uh, number nine all time in Brewers wins above replacement. Wasn't anything all that spectacular. 22 wins above replacement over his career. 274 batting average. Never had an all-star. Uh, never a silver slugger. Uh, but was was there every day. Consistent player. 17 years, of course. All of those coming with the Brewers. Um, so Wisconsin native. 17 years. Um, I, w- I would say you could hand him the ball every day and he'd go out there and play. But uh, solid, solid player out there at second base. Um, good defender and overall just a good player. Yeah, kind of the uh, epitome of the the blue collar Wisconsin worker. If if that goes for for baseball players too, he wasn't flashy. Didn't have the big power numbers. Never even actually finished in in any sort of voting for awards. Even though maybe he should have won uh, a Gold Glove or two. Was was a, a very good defender. Uh, he also did have a three year period where he didn't hit a home run. So you could say that he wasn't chasing after the the power numbers you know they say chicks dig the long ball um I, I guess uh I think Ichiro said well I don't dig those chicks that don't that that, that dig the long ball so maybe Jim Gantner uh, in the same the same uh the same vein there uh but somebody who was uh, a key part in many of those good teams in the early 80s uh, he actually made his major league debut by pinch running for Hank Aaron in his final game or at least one of his his first appearances and was with the team until I think it was 92. Uh, so a 17-year career for Jim Gantner was a, is a, one of the all-time greats. Brewers actually have not used number 17 since Gantner retired. Not sure if they ever will. Uh, again, they haven't retired the number, um, but nobody's used it. I know Hader requested it, and they said, no, you're not going to be 17. Uh, we don't really let people use it. So uh, he decided to switch it around and wear number 71, perhaps in honor of Scott Linebrink. Uh, who came before him, uh, the only other number 71 wearer in franchise history. Uh, But those are going to be the five names we're going to reveal today. Uh, Five more coming in our next episode. So be sure to stay tuned and listen uh, to see who those names are going to be. We also, spoiler alert, will include a DH. Brewers have have spent more than half of their their franchise tenure with a DH, although I may have bent the rules a little bit and chosen a, a first baseman to slot in the DH spot. Uh, just a little spoiler, uh, so we could get all get all of our uh, our Brewers uh, first baseman, and because there have been a number of really good ones across uh, across Major League, uh, not across Major League Baseball, but uh, across Brewers franchise histories, is what I was uh, looking for there. But moving on to uh, a few more pieces of news items, smaller ones. We talked about the JBJ trade, talked about how MLB is in the lockout now. And we'll get uh, get on to what the lockout means. What does it mean for baseball? Uh, what are some ways that uh, Major League Baseball could improve its game and its product? Uh, and uh, I think David's going to put on the commissioner hat. I'm going to put on uh, Rob Manfred, uh, the Ma- Rob Manfred suit, perhaps, and make some rule changes, unilaterally implement them to help our great game that's struggling a little bit. Uh, but the Brewers also had some more minor moves. They signed Brett Sullivan to a one-year deal. I made the Pedro Severino signing official as well, solidified their catching core with that. Sullivan has never uh, actually made it to the major league so far, but last year at a 678 OPS and AAA with the Rays, uh, has a pretty good reputation of being a solid defensive catcher. 
has a 360 on base percentage right now in uh, the Dominican Winter League. So he has played in, in the Dominican Winter League for a couple of years now, been uh, bouncing around a number of levels in the Rays organization, finally hit minor league free agency this year and decided to sign a one-year pact with the Brewers on their, uh, their major league roster. So he does have a few options remaining, uh, kind of taking the, uh, the Luke Maley role, the uh, successor to the uh, Luke Maley 40-man roster spot. Mario Feliciano as well, sliding in with uh, some catching depth. Also some arbitration news. The deadline was November 30th on whether teams had to uh, uh, were going to tender a contract to an arbitration eligible player or non-tender them, meaning uh, cut ties and release the player. The Brewers decided to non-tender two players on the roster. First one being the great Big Dan, Dan Vogelback. A little bit unfortunate uh, since he was a, a fan favorite, uh, perhaps partly for his size. Uh, which, by the way, I, I was reading about Vogelback. Do you know that in high school he weighed in at 325 his senior year? Um, I think I had I think I had heard that he had trimmed down since high school. Yeah, which uh, he's still probably about kipping the scale of maybe 285 right now. Um, but yeah. he was like the, the Florida State Player of the Year uh, when in the second round, even though the Cubs were like, yeah, he doesn't really have a position, but uh, he can hit, which is pretty much unheard of to be drafted that high uh, with a situation like that, especially coming out of high school. Uh, but Vogelback with the Brewers across parts of two seasons finishes 242 average, 363 on base, and a grand slam, a walk-off grand slam off Alex Reyes being the key moment. Um, he was uh, pretty solid when the Brewers had him over the past two years, but it made a lot more sense to keep Rowdy. And with the two players' skill sets being kind of similar, Rowdy better defensively, maybe a little bit steadier at the plate and, and younger. I thought it made sense to keep Telez uh, and David Stearns at least uh, agreeing there as he chose to cut ties with Vogelbach. And they actually did reach an agreement already uh, with Rowdy, a $1.94 million. Uh, the other player that they non-tendered, John Curtis, who they had acquired from the Marlins earlier this year uh, in exchange for Peyton Henry. And he got off to a rough start, four and a third innings and allowed five runs with the crew. And then unfortunately blew out his elbow and was forced to undergo Tommy John surgery, was going to be out already for all of next year. The Brewers decided it would not be worth it uh, to retain his services and have decided to uh, allow him to test the free agent waters. So John Curtis also uh, being non-tendered by the Brewers. Uh, otherwise, all the other players that they have, uh, they tendered contracts to. So that uh, includes Woodruff, Burns, Adames, all the other ones that you uh, would, would expect. Couple minor league signings, gonna uh, go through them quick. Couple former Rockies, actually. Rex Brothers, left-handed relief pitcher, spent last year with the Cubs. A pretty good strikeout numbers, throws pretty hard, walks a lot of guys, unfortunately. So uh, he'll be competing for a spot on the roster as a left-handed relief pitcher. And David Dahl, outfielder, former All Star, actually in 2019, hit 302 with the Rockies. Spent most of last year with Texas, where he uh, hit just 210 with a uh, low on base and, and power numbers, uh, but. David Dahl spent, I think, maybe September with uh, Nashville with the Brewers organization and probably fifth on the outfield depth chart behind Tyrone Taylor and the three starters. Uh, so it could be, could be in, the, in a Brewers uniform at some point next year. And then lastly, I uh, wanted to touch on my favorite random Brewer of all time, uh, submarine right-handed pitcher Ben Rowan has, uh, I, I noticed, has retired. He's now an advanced scout for the uh, Los Angeles Angels. He actually pitched 11 and a third innings for them this year 
um, at a five, five, six ERA. He actually had a pretty good minor league number still um, over the past couple of years. Uh, even this year, he was a uh, um, decent. So uh, I was a, a little bit sad to see that. I just always took a liking to Ben Rowan. Seemed like the the typical submarine relief pitcher doesn't get that much of an opportunity, despite some pretty good production. Uh, somebody who had uh, pitched pretty well at almost every level he had pitched at, and he uh, he still didn't really get the uh, the the notoriety I thought that he deserved, uh, and the the opportunities at the major league level. The Brewers did give him a, sh- a short opportunity, three innings in 2016, a little cup of coffee as a September call up, uh, but. He retired, and uh, the the legend of Ben Rowan, as a as a as a player at least, will end here in 2021. I wanted to touch on uh, Ben Rowan, one of my favorites. Yeah, he can. He will now fill in the spot of uh, your favorite scout, uh, perhaps over what, is Taylor Green, right? Taylor Green. Yeah, well, there are a lot of good ones. Jeff Bianchi yeah. too. Uh, yep. That one's uh, he's up there. Uh, I I uh, I always loved some uh, the Jeff Bianchi experience. The the bloop, the bloop single over the shortstop's head <laughs> once every seven at bats. He also, but he also signed autographs to the mail. So that's what I remember from uh, True. Jeff Bianchi. Yeah, we're getting, and, uh, getting his, some autographs. Uh, the, uh, the baseball card with the gold jersey. Yep. I think his only, I think it was his only baseball card, but uh, it's all good. That's, that's, that's what I will remember him for. So we've mentioned this several times here. Brewers training away Jackie Bradley Jr. Bring in Hunter Renfro, who had a very productive year last year for the Red Sox. Interesting to see how he'll fit into the Brewers outfield, presumably replacing the loss of Avisayel Garcia. And the Brewers also saving money on this deal. Uh, how much are the Brewers saving on this deal? And, and where do you see that uh, those dollars being allocated? Well, Jackie Bradley Jr. was slated to make 12 million this year. Renfro is projected to make about seven and a half in arbitration this year. So four and a half million saved up front already. Uh, but Jackie Bradley Jr. also, I think is a, excuse me, a player option for next year uh, for, I want to say about 11 million with a buyout of about six or seven. So if the Brewers were to choose to cut ties with Renfro after this year, which they could retain him for one more year in arbitration, if they chose to, uh, they would then save about 10 million uh, over the course of 2022 and 23. Uh, But for this year, specifically four and a half million uh, estimated that the Brewers will save by, by making this trade. And what are your thoughts as far as the Brewers and what the Brewers gave up? Obviously, beyond Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, giving up two prospects, one of those being Alex Benels, the Wisconsin native, um, fits the theme for today's episode. What were your thoughts overall on the Brewers' prospects they gave up and just the overall trade? Were you happy with the Brewers' decision to make the move? Um, certainly did come down to the wire last minute. It did. It was, um, I think, reported about 15 minutes before the deadline. David Hamilton is a, a speedy shortstop. I think he stole about 50 bags in the minors this year and good walk rate. Uh, somebody who gets on base, even though he's not the best hitter. Uh, he, he's like, a, I would say he projects to be maybe a, a, a slightly less quick Billy Hamilton. He probably won't hit that much in the major leagues, but could end up carving out a nice career as a utility guy because of his speed and defensive versatility. Uh, Benellis is, is kind of the opposite of that. He can hit. He's got good power. He showed that in his in his uh, his minor league stint in Carolina this year, slugged over 600. Uh, but he also has some work to do defensively, from what I heard at first base. He um, he he's got the bat there, but uh, the thing with the first baseman who's not very good defensively, not much versatility, is 
that there's really nothing to fall back on. If the bat doesn't fully develop, then he probably won't really uh, have a, any sort of role in the major leagues. So, well, it, it was a nice story to have the Oak Creek native uh, in the Brewers organization. And I certainly was happy for him and, and happy that he got a chance with the Brewers initially. At the same time, it, uh, it seemed like a move that made sense. Uh, you can't be scared of trading mid-level prospects, especially in the middle of a contention window on a small market ball club like the Brewers. Overall, I, I thought that it was a, a pretty good trade. Maybe Renfro and Jackie Bradley Jr. will produce similar value, but Bradley's more of, of producing that value with the glove, uh, maybe some of the base running. Renfro really more so with the bat and could be maybe about an average defender in right field. So not a liability there, but more of a, a hitter and someone that, that deepens the lineup, uh, provides that pop maybe in that five or six spot uh, behind the, some of the better hitters, uh, which I, I think the Brewers needed more so than the defense of Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any question about that. And you see him slotting into right field and Yelich uh, in left then? Yes, and then Tyrone Taylor presumably then will be the, uh, the fourth outfielder. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to like for the Brewers in this trade. Like you said, saving money. Uh, I mean, certainly you give up two prospects. You never know what that might look like. Those might be the uh, the next Jed Bradleys uh, or, I don't know, uh, not uh, Michael Brantley, I guess. Yeah, probably the best prospect the Brewers have ever traded. Kevin yeah. Bass maybe a long time ago. Not uh, Lewis Brinson. No, who was actually uh, designated for assignment, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate for him. And, of course, the Marlins and the, the key piece to that Christian Yelich trade. But uh, we won't go down that rabbit hole. But either way, big it's a, a big move for the Brewers, and I do uh, see a lot of upside. I was very happy with it to get Bradley Jr. off the books. I know he was probably slated for a rebound year this year, but just the way that he performed last year and the Brewers' need for offense, I think that made a lot of sense. So we talked about we talked about the MLB lockout. I think everybody's well aware of, of it going on at the moment. Uh, but let's just jump into – let's have you put on your uh, Rob Manfred suit here and go through uh, some of the rule changes that you think would be beneficial for Major League Baseball, starting off with uh, some things that are off the field around free agency. What were your thoughts around that? Yeah, well, I, 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 have, a, I have a question for you before we start. Uh, am I required to talk in the, the Rob, Rob Manfred accent, <laughs> uh, talk about the, the Miami Marlins? Uh, for, or, for the sake of everyone, including myself, I will definitely say no on that one. Okay. I just wanted to make sure before we started, <laughs> uh, if I was putting on the Manfred suit, did I have to uh, get the voice uh, kind of comparable to um, our, our favorite commissioner, um, Rob Manfred? Uh, but yeah, I still wanted to start out with uh, some, some things to free agency, how we could change free agency. I think a big issue is the manipulation of service time where teams will hold down their top prospects, just an extra three, four weeks, even maybe a couple months in the minors to gain that extra year before they hit free agency. And I think that's a problem. That's something that we should have the best product on the field at all times, especially the young, the younger guys that are always exciting. You want to see them. We've seen that happen with uh, Chris Bryant, most notably in recent years, uh, but others as well. So my proposal is that you hit free agency at a certain age. doesn't matter uh, when you made the major leagues. Um, but 27 would be the age for players who are signed when they are 19 or under, uh, including all high school players and international signees uh, under that age. And then if you are 20, uh, if you are a, a junior college or a four year player, uh, then you would hit free agency after the age of 29. So that'd be my proposal. 
and uh, so that way it wouldn't it wouldn't move. Uh, and at the same time, then some of the big contracts that have been signed, I think about um, Corey Seager, even recently, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. These guys are hitting free agency at younger ages because they debuted younger. Well, 27 is still a pretty good age then to hit free agency. Uh, overall, this is what I think would be a pretty good in-between, although I know that the owners wouldn't be in favor of it still, um, as they, they never are. Um, and then in addition to that, have a free agency deadline. So we saw the frenzy leading up to December 1st, uh, kind of a soft deadline, not one that was set in stone, but they knew it was coming. I say we set a deadline on December 1st, have, excuse me, December 15th, have the winter meetings leading up to it, uh, where you've got all the moves happening in, in the winter meetings. Uh, December 15th at, uh, at midnight, no more moves, uh, a free agency dead period, a trade dead period, uh, no moves that involve major leaguers until February 1st. I think it would create uh, maybe the best that MLB can do uh, to kind of simulate something similar to what happens in the NBA, where you just got constant movement for a while, and then you can kind of slow down, talk about what happened, analyze it, and give a little bit of a break. Uh, from from Major League Baseball, from uh, the the moves, rather than having one big contract signed every other week, I think it'd be a little bit more exciting to do it this way. Those are a couple of my uh, my proposals for free agency. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to hear the next one. I know you've got some thoughts on the draft, which has been a something that the Brewers or not the Brewers Major League Baseball has continued to cut down on and change. Um, but you actually are proposing to eliminate the draft entirely. So this one's interesting to me. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I am actually not a fan of the draft, uh, the, the process that the draft holds. Um, I am a, I'm a capitalist, I guess. Um, I believe that uh, if, if one team wants to pay more for a player, they should be able to. Um, last time I checked, the, uh, if, if, um, if you, for example, are, are graduating from college as a financial analyst, uh, you don't get drafted by a, a bank to become a final financial analyst there. You have, you have some freedom in, in where you go. MLB players don't really get that when they're, when they're younger. I think that they should. Now, I don't think that it should necessarily be a totally free market um, going along with the capitalism, but um, I think you should have bonus pools. So they already have bonus pools on how much they can spend on draft picks, but I think it would be better if there was competition. So if I were a prospect coming out of college uh, and then maybe I had four teams interested in me, I'm not kind of forced to sign with maybe the, the Yankees drafted me. I'm not really forced to sign with the Yankees. That's not my only option. I have other options. And then I think it can benefit players because then players can, um, can earn a little bit more with the, uh, with the more of the open market. And maybe the Red Sox want to offer me more than the Yankees. I think that would benefit uh, players, but then I think it would also create a little bit of a, a fairer system for, for, uh, um, for the team's, uh, they've got the set limit and then the players also, even if you're maybe a little bit older, if your value is this, uh, that's roughly what you're going to be paid, at least compared to the other players. And I think that the bonus pool should be based 50% off of the record from the previous year and then 50% off of the market size, a way to um, kind of reward uh, the, the teams that have it a little bit more difficult, like the Brewers, the small market teams but also have it based some on record, but this also de-incentivizes tanking. Uh, it, it doesn't really provide nearly as much of uh, a reward for being 60 and 102, uh, like, like Pittsburgh is or Baltimore is on a yearly basis. Uh, yeah, sure, maybe there's a little bit of an advantage, but it's, it's pretty negligible. 
So uh, I think this would be a way that we could improve on uh, the overall competitiveness of the teams. And we could also uh, create a little bit more of a, a market for draft picks instead of draft picks, I guess, have them be, um, be amateur free agents and have them sign this way, kind of similarly to how the international market works right now. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Uh, certainly, it is a unique system to have a draft. Like you said, nobody's getting drafted out of college in that in that sense. Um, it is one of those ways that have just been the way to do it for years, and that's the way it's done. So it would be a it would be a drastic change, but I'm not sure I would necessarily be opposed to it. That certainly would be interesting. It I think it would be more exciting, and maybe it would also be good better for the players as well. Like you said, because they've got some negotiation uh, to this to you know and decision to make if they want to take some more money. And take just take the top dollar and go there. If they have a certain team that they want to go to, um, they've got a little bit more freedom to do that. You've got a lot of changes here going on. You've got uh, changes to divisions and playoffs. So what are your proposed changes to the division structure? Yeah, well, this actually is a proposal that has been on the negotiating table reportedly in the actual collective bargaining negotiations. Uh, I'd like to actually split the league so there are only two divisions. I'm actually a bigger fan of having larger divisions, I think you avoid having you know, that one bad division. We saw the Braves win the NL East with 87 wins this year. They ended up winning the World Series. Now, I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing for baseball that they did that, but I would prefer to see a, maybe a slightly larger pool of teams. Uh, so you're going to have a little bit less variance as far as the talent uh, that, that's there. And then I think it would create a unique playoff structure as well. Uh, so I think this would work best if we expanded two extra teams, had 32 teams, eight teams in each division, two in each, two divisions in each league, uh, whenever they're able to expand. So just an example, you might have to reshuffle the, the teams in the league a little bit. And if there is a universal DH, wouldn't matter a whole lot outside of the tradition of it. Um, but maybe you have a, a Midwestern division uh, that includes Minnesota, Kansas City, St. Louis, Milwaukee, the two Chicago teams, and then Texas and Houston. It'd be a pretty good geographical uh, mix got the teams on the west and then some teams on the east as well but then along with this comes a new playoff structure so you have you have the top three teams in each division make the playoffs the second and third place play a, a three-game set hosted all by the better seed uh, the winner advances to play the division winner in a seven-game series but the the caveat is that the division winner actually uh, they're on the road for the first two games and then they host the remaining five so a little bit extra incentive for them uh, as they uh, as they are kind of defending their divisional crown. And then the winners, winners of those divisional rounds will play in the league championship series and then the World Series, similarly to what we have now. So a little bit of a different playoff structure. Uh, you've got a few additional teams then. Uh, you've got six in each league. So it would create the, uh, the kind of expanded playoffs, a little bit longer series in the first round rather than the one game playoff that they have right now. I think that that's something that both sides really actually uh, maybe would be a good compromise since the players don't really want more playoffs necessarily, but the teams do, the owners do. Yeah, it's interesting that the uh, I'm, it's obvious why the owners want more playoffs. Of course, there's a lot more revenue and money to be made <clears throat> during those games. But why is it that do you think that the players aren't as excited to be increasing the number of postseason games or postseason teams as well? Well, I think that they feel like it cheapens the regular season. I think they want to have the proper weight on the regular season, especially with baseball being probably the league that has the most value in its regular season. It's so long. You don't want to have a 162 games where 
Uh, you feel like you already know that the Dodgers are going to be the two seed or the three seed or whatever, uh, like you might have in the NBA uh, with, with say the Brooklyn Nets or even our own uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so I think that that's the big reason why they wouldn't want that to be the case. Yeah, no, I guess that does, that does make some sense. What are your thoughts uh, before we get on to some of the on-field rule changes? Uh, what are your thoughts? If you had to pick one of those proposals off the field, if you had to just choose one that would go into effect, which of those would you pick? I would choose the draft. Actually, I would, I would um, choose to abolish the draft system. I think that would help the, co- the competitiveness we said. Um, and also I think one, one way that it could benefit is it, it could push teams to really emphasize player development for, excuse me, for example, a team like, like Pittsburgh, they're known for not really having great development. Um, they're, they're not able to develop players well. And so then they're not going to be able to attract as good of talent coming out of high school or college. And that's really going to, going to affect things. So it might force them to maybe adapt and figure out different ways uh, to be a little bit more competitive as far as player development goes. Uh, And then it also, I think, creates a little bit more of a fair system for draft picks, uh, allows players to decide a little bit better uh, as far as what teams they go to. This was the case before 1965. That was when the draft was, uh, was set up a very different game back then, but it's not like we've never seen this before. So that would be the one that I would choose if I were to implement any of these, uh, if I only were able to choose one. Yeah, certainly would be, would be a change, but like you said, it, it, it was the way things went a long time ago. So it looks like you've got about a dozen on-field rule changes. If you could just list off um, a handful of these, or even just go through them rapid fire and then uh, break down a couple of your, your favorite on-field rule changes that you'd recommend in light of speeding up the game and continuing to make the game of baseball more appealing to watch for both the old timers, the old school and the new school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it, it starts with bending the baseball. Uh, I think that that's a, a big issue. We got to get less home runs. I'm not saying we don't have any home runs. We're not talking about dead ball era. Uh, but but I think it, we should keep the ball in the yard a little bit more. That's where it um, it is a, a better game. And there were recent reports that uh, MLB used two different composition of uh, baseballs in 2021. They blamed it on COVID, but MLB is wealthy enough that they would be able to to get a, a uniform baseball um, for for the whole year. Uh, whether or not they had the big series um, where they would use the 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 juice ball, the rabbit ball, uh, we don't know that but it's certainly possible. And that's something that should, uh, should raise questions about the validity of uh, the, the commissioner's office. And also I think should um, maybe say, okay, let's have one uniform more dead, dead, dead end baseball, I guess. Uh, also the, the runner on second rule, I would advocate maybe have that, but wait until the 12th inning, 11th or 12th inning, half of extra inning games end in the 10th already as it is. Let's push that back a little bit and no extra inning rule in the playoffs replays limited to one and a half minutes. Nobody wants to sit around for four or five minutes while the umpire sat, sit there with a headset. I also think that they should have a screen that they're able to bring out to the umpires. So the umpires are able to make the right call on their own rather than having the umpires in New York, make the call for them. Um, and then I'm fine with the challenge system, how it is right now. Maybe don't say you can ask for a review late in the game, uh, but, but, Overall, that'd be the biggest thing with the time. 11-man pitching staff. This is one that I'm, uh, I, I forget when I was first introduced to it, but I really think it would improve the game. The way that there, there is right now, with there, there's too many pitchers. They have a, 
the starter goes four or five innings. I think the average start was like 4.8 innings this year. Uh, have too many like quote unquote, no name relievers. It's more interesting. It's a better product to see the starter go longer. We want to see Max Scherzer and Corbin Burns go eight innings in a pitching duel. We don't want to see him go five and two thirds scoreless. Uh, that's kind of the closest thing that baseball gets to in other sports where you've got Tom Brady with the ball in the, when the game's on the line, you've got, um, you've got say Giannis and, and LeBron going at each other uh, with the game on the line. And then instead we've got Brent Suter pitching in, in late in the game and, and uh, you know, Sam Coonrod or some random reliever. Um, so I would say that that would, um, that would rethink the way that teams manage their pitching staffs. Maybe uh, relievers aren't used quite as much. And I think it would, it would, impl- it would uh, incentivize early weak contact. Uh, bring back uh, the ground ball pitchers a little bit more. I think that would be a, a good thing for the game. Universal DH, I would be in favor of, but with a caveat, the double hook rule. So once the once the starter comes out of the game, the starting pitcher, so does the DH, unless you move him to another position. Um, but the pitcher spot is now in the lineup. You talk about the strategy of uh, keeping, you know, the double switch, the pinch hitters. Uh, plus, with an 11-man pitching staff, you're able to mix and match with pinch hitters a little bit more. I think it creates a nice part of the game. Uh, get the strategy of it, but also we don't really care to see the starting pitcher hit two or three times a game. Pitch clock, I'd be in favor of only with the bases empty, though. I think it creates more problems with uh, guys on base. 16 seconds. Not, I'm not a huge on how much time that is. Just wanted to throw a time out there. I would be in favor of limiting the shift. I'd say two guys on each side of the base. Uh, of second base. I don't, it, it, they don't have to necessarily be in the infield dirt. Um, but we've seen other sports do that where they kind of limit the defensive alignment, the way that they can uh, use their defenders, uh, limit mound visits to three a game from coach or manager, you know, very minor thing, change it to the two batter minimum rule instead of the three. I think two batter is one thing, you know, make them get one righty out or back-to-back lefties. Uh, it didn't really have its effect with the three batter minimum rule. I don't think coaches would necessarily feel like, or, or managers feel like uh, a, a two batter minimum rule is so limiting for them. Uh, so I think we could just change it to that. Um, change the slide rule at second base. Uh, I know we've got a lot of, a lot of rule changes here, um, but, but uh, make it. So it was a little bit more like how it was in the old days, maybe bring back the neighborhood play a little bit. I think there's a kind of a, a beauty in the way that second baseman would have to turn double plays that is lost now. And then lastly, actually, this is an interesting one, ban elbow guards and shin guards, uh, unless there was a recent injury uh, where they would be able to, I think that it, um, it makes it so pitchers don't pitch inside as much. And I think people are, are in the game are a little bit softer now. Um, and I think it would be a little bit more interesting to see uh, hitters maybe, they don't crowd the plate as much. You know, you got Anthony Rizzo hovering right over the plate you know, he gets hit by a pitch and it's a strike, but they, they're going to give him first base. Uh, I think that that would create an interesting uh, dynamic. If, if you take those away, you look at the games of the seventies and eighties. And I think, you know, you knock down a hitter. That's a lot more. It meant a lot more uh, back then because you're where you want to get hit by the ball. Now you just throw your little $450 Evo shield guard at the ball and it'll absorb the impact of it. I'm not saying, uh, bring back the knockdown, the knockdown pitch that uh, is at their head. But, um, but I think that there is something that's an interesting part of the game that's lost with the with the uh, the uh, protective gear. I'm not 
not saying Bill James said he thinks that that uh, batters should be forced to run 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 the bases with their shin guards and elbow guards on. Okay, if you want to, but um, but I, I think this would be kind of an interesting one that people aren't really talking about. I'm sure there'd be opposition from the hitters, but I know the pitchers and and myself being a pitcher, um, I think it'd be a, a good rule to implement to maybe create a little bit more of the balance of maybe some aspects of the game that we saw 70s 80s and and some parts of the modern game as well uh i know i, I threw a lot of rules out there at you uh, are there some specific ones that you wanted to uh give a little bit of further analysis to peter yeah the the elbow guard and shin guard is an interesting one i i thought you were going more so for the time of the i don't know exactly what the, the total time savings would be on on not having players take About their the shin guards off as the intentional walk rule <laughs> right right um but but yeah, that's an interesting, interesting thought. I haven't heard, haven't heard that one uh, before the, the umpiring umpire review process. I think that's a no brainer. I, I'm not sure whose grand idea it was to ask other umpires in another state. Uh, Joe Torre and, and Tony LaRusa actually were the ones who set, <laughs> set up the, uh, I, I think they, it was them two who were in charge of setting up replay review, which maybe explains it a little bit. Yeah, I'm surprised they chose to use screens and they they knew how to use that technology given the uh, average age of Tori and Larissa. But <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm all in favor of that as well. Uh, the universal DH with the double hook rule is an interesting one. I I don't know. I I don't mind it, but at the same time, it it would create some interesting scenarios if you got a guy like I don't know. I mean, Brett Anderson for the Brewers this year. You know, if he if Brett Anderson's starting, do you really put your starting DH um starting or or do you just use him off the bench and I don't know double switch him into the game and try to stash him somewhere in the field um I don't know it's kind of an interesting one as I think about some of the starting pitchers you talked about only going four or five innings you could have a DH only get one or two at bats and they'd well, uh, that's be true and, the and you would have the option of uh, moving that DH to the, the the playing field I mean you'd have to remove uh, that starter of course uh, but I think it would create a, maybe a little bit of an interesting managerial decision you're uh, I think those those managerial um the the chess moves are are pretty interesting uh what they would decide to do that and you're almost creating a new layer of strategy in this case yeah no that no I think that would be and it, it it is it is an interesting part of the game um it's fun to see the manager managerial decisions and the analysis everything that goes into it so certainly uh lots lots of potential rule changes um I'm guessing not all of them will happen um, but it'll be interesting to see if, if any of those do come to fruition, um, especially if there's a expansion teams or uh, divisional changes like you had talked about earlier. Um, that certainly would be a, a pretty significant change. Before we wrap things up and head out here today, David, uh, can you remind everyone what's today's trivia question? Today's trivia question is which two brewers uh, who appeared in 2021 for the team are natives of Wisconsin? Got two of them. Peter going to be able to get both of the names. Well, it helped out when you said that they were uh, from 2021, no longer with the Brewers uh, at the beginning. Uh, those brought to mind two, uh, well, two relievers, I guess I would say. J.P. Fireisen, who was, of course, shipped to Tampa Bay for Willie Adames in that Adames trade. And then Jordan Zimmerman, who spent just a little time in the major leagues last year, had that fun story where he had decided to retire on like a Tuesday, uh, got a call either that day or the next morning that the Brewers actually had wanted him to come uh, back up to the majors and actually make an appearance. So he retired for about a day, came back, pitched in the majors. I don't believe he did all that, all that well. Um, made a brief stint with the Brewers last year, 
and then eventually decided to hang up the fleets. But uh, I believe those are the two Wisconsin natives, FireEyes and, and Zimmerman. That is correct. We, uh, uh, we, we have seen a number of uh, former brewers uh, that have been from the area and also just from the state in general. Uh, Jim Gantner, I, I noted as probably the most notable. Jerry Augustine, his teammate and fellow UW, uh, the WIAC conference alum at uh, UW Lacrosse. Vinny Rotino also playing in that conference. Brewers broadcaster right now. Bob Wickman, another one, a more recent relief pitcher. And uh, I, Harvey Keene, who actually is, uh, along with Carlos Gomez, celebrating his birthday today. If he were, <laughs> if he were still around, he would be turning 91. Uh, so I guess uh, would be happy birthday to Harvey Keen, the West Dallas native. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, next episode, we'll be covering the next, the unveiling the next five uh, players on the all-time Brewers roster. Should be a good one. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see um, how the roster looks. Um, we've got some interesting names, some, some old school names. We've got some, some recent guys, some, uh, some of those uh, good bullpen arms that we've seen over the last couple of years. So uh, that'll be a fun segment. We'll be again, unveiling the next five on our next episode. Again, just to recap, Brewers acquiring Hunter Renfro in exchange for Jackie Bradley Jr., David Hamilton, and Alex Benales, of course, covering the, the craziness that we saw in the last week leading up to the lockout and uh, the lockout changes that we'll see what will uh, come to fruition as this uh, time, as we just kind of uh, sit here and wait around a couple months for Major League Baseball to resume, hopefully before spring training, and we'll likely see a frenzy of moves. Like David said, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, probably won't be, unfortunately, too much uh, news in baseball over the next couple of months. But if there is, we'll certainly keep you covered here and hop on a bonus episode if we need. And until then, as always, we will sign off with Go Brewers! Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.